God. Amen. Please be seated. Please be seated on this beautiful, beautiful Memorial Day. This, uh, this day means a lot of different things to different people. The kickoff for summer, the first beach trip, it's uh, all those family members that have gone before us, those uh, military and uh, those that have died in battle and those that have not died in battle. But, but I, I tend to think of the original intent and this past week really brought that home to me in a, in a new and in a, a refreshing way, for the first time ever, I spoke to a person that had uh, had given uh, given one of their sons. He lost. He was lost in uh, Afghanistan. Stepped on a landmine. Now I've known people before that that have lost children, but it's always been many years removed. This guy lost him on December twenty second, two thousand seventeen, just a little over a year ago. And uh, to remember those fallen soldiers, and as I said across the table from him. Talk. He, he's had a he's had a horrible time. He began drinking himself to sleep because he just can't cope with what's going on. And works every day, gets up every morning, and goes to work. But his heart was heavy, and he, with tears in his eyes, he said, "This day." He's talking about Memorial Day. Said, "This is not about hamburgers and hot dogs. This day is a special day." And I was reminded of the sacrifice. I took it very personal. It was very personal. It was as if that man told me, I gave my son for you to live in freedom. And I begin to, to think and recall how, how, how that mimics what Jesus has done for us. He gave his life that we could have freedom and liberty in him. So I just, uh, this has been a special Memorial Day weekend for me. To remember those fallen soldiers and a great service outside. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate the effort that went into that. Uh, as we was walking out, Sherry, I said, Sherry said something about it being hot. We were talking about being hot going out and standing in the heat. And, and But she looked back at me. I was thinking it. I just didn't say it. She did. She said, I guess that's a pretty small price to pay for what's been done for us. The 20th century was full of wars of Americans that fought in faraway places. We fought all those isms. You know, Nazism and Marxism and socialism and communism, knowing that there could be no liberty with just a few people dictating to the masses what they think is right. I remember the days of Robert McNamara, Secretary of Defense in the early, uh, early 60s, the dire warning he was giving about Southeast Asia and the spread of communism. He talked about the domino theory. Do you all remember that? He's talked about the domino theory, that once Vietnam fell to the, the other countries of the region, that, that all the rest of the countries would fall like dominoes to communism. We lost a lot of American treasure in Vietnam fighting communist forces. It was a decade of America coming to the age. It was a decade of the hippies and the beatniks and drugs were coming on the scene. It was a decade of racial strife in the cities. A decade where students were killed at Kent State University. Free love and the sexual revolution was everywhere. No longer was sex tied to marriage, but the attitude of if it feels good, do it. We lived through incredible social change in the 60s and 70s. And the freedom to do your thing was the mantra. All about being your own person. Do your own thing. Traditional values like marriage and family, now they're square. Do you all remember those words? The institutions that had made America great were under full assault, and it continues to this day, all the while seeking liberty and freedom from the oppressive society that created the greatest nation on earth. 
Then we begin waking up to the consequences of destroying our value system. Teen pregnancy was rampant. Drugs were in vogue. People were dying by the thousands. We couldn't build jails fast enough to, to contain the junkies and the dealers. While we're arguably free, what's the cost? What are we doing with our freedom? What are we doing with our liberty? For there are limits to our liberty. The general idea, of, the, of course, of liberty is the absence of all restraints. Now, I understand that from a 16 or 17-year-old wanting to get out from under mom and dad's thumb. But, but if I can just get rid of those restraints, I can just do what I want to do. And do whatever feels good, I'll do it. But liberty comes with a tremendous amount of responsibility. I think there's a fundamental confusion on that point. That's not liberty. That is anarchy. That leads to total chaos. Freedom is not simply the absence of restraints. You remember the Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes who said, certainly we have the freedom of speech, but freedom of speech has its limits. You're not free to shout fire in a crowded theater. You're not free to say anything you want. Or like the old analogy I heard over the years, I can wave my fist in the air as violently as I want to, but my freedom stops where your nose begins. But my freedom stops. Freedom has limits. Freedom has a price. And we forget it at our peril. When you read the second chapter of 2 Peter, you feel like you're listening to some negative political ads that are so common today. Waterless springs, deepest darkness, bombastic nonsense, licentious desires, slaves of corruption. That could easily be a political commercial today. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption, for people are slaves to whatever masters them. The children of Israel have always been aware that there were false prophets. There were false prophets in, in our midst then and then continues to today. Peter moves on to slam those false teachers with about the spiritual freedom while forsaking apostolic doctrine. Now it's possible that you can live in an arena of, uh, in an arena of freedom, but really never realize you're actually in bondage. It's kind of like a man sitting in a prison cell about the fact he's free from the responsibility of having to go to work. <laughs> now it's true he's free from that responsibility, but he's so excited about his freedom, he can't see his bondage for he's sitting in a prison cell. I witness daily folks that, are, that, are, that, that think they're free, but they're really living in bondage. If fear dominates your life, you're in bondage. If you believe that service to Christ is a part-time proposition, you're in bondage. There's nothing more miserable than a person trying to serve Jesus part-time. But the thing that ought to concern us most in the land of the free and the home of the brave that so many are living in bondage and they don't even know it. And how could this happen? It happened for a very simple very simple reason that what is often called freedom is in reality bondage. Let me explain how that happens. You, you'll notice in verse 18, Peter talks about those who live in error. I would submit to you that a person who has taught that which is fundamentally wrong and builds his life on that which is fundamentally in error, that person is in bondage. For that person in a sea of bondage and living a life based on false premises, they're wrong from the start. Regardless of how beautiful and luxurious your home is, without a foundation under that home, that home is worthless. 
Jesus taught about building your home on the rock and not the shifting sands of the age. Now one of those things about the false teachers that Peter was so, was so concerned about is they have an intense distaste for authority. They despise authority. They despise the ultimate authority. They, they despise the very notion that there's a God who is in charge. They hate the idea of the ultimate authority and the ultimate final judgment. They resist the idea that there's an eternal counting, accounting for how you live your life. The false teaching that they'll give is propagated all the time in our culture. It's everywhere. You can't turn the TV on for three minutes and you'll see that. There's no final judgment. There's no ultimate authority. You're not eternally accountable. And people build their lives on that false premise. They assume, therefore, that it really doesn't matter what they do because they're free. They're free. There's nothing like the freedom that says I'm not accountable. There's nothing like the freedom that says it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter how I treat people. The person who's living on that, on that basis is living a life of error. Peter gives some responses. He, said, he says, listen those of you who say there's no, there's no final judgment. To those of you who say there's no ultimate authority, to, to, to ultimate authority. To those of you who say there's no eternal accountability. Just remember this. God did not turn a blind eye to the rebellious people in the days of Noah. Just remember this. God did not let Sodom and Gomorrah survive. Why in the world do you think there's no God? who is the ultimate authority, where history is literally full of God's holy and righteous judgment who will not tolerate sin. But you see people, there's people who've been trapped in this erroneous teaching. They believed a lie. And they believe that they're totally free to do whatever they wish without any ultimate consequences. Therefore, I submit to you, they're living ultimately in bondage. Here's the second way it happens. You'll notice that Peter also says in verse 18 that these teachers mouth empty and boastful words. The way that people can be led into bondage is not only through false teaching, but teaching that which is fundamentally in error. People who can be brought into bondage when they're taught things where people promise much but are utterly empty. We, need, we could hear a few politicians tell a few things like that, wouldn't you? Those false promises... The teachers are promising you find meaning in life if you participate in all of this. And we all know that if you sought life in the, in, uh, through, a, through a needle or a bottle or other sins of the flesh, you'll find that it doesn't fulfill what you're looking for. So much that the, pro the culture promises is just hollow. If you engage in all these things, there, there is, this is where life is found. Now Peter's saying to us that these teachers are full of empty, boastful words that lead to bondage. He doesn't sugarcoat his response. He calls them in verse 17, springs without water and mist driven by a storm. You can live in the land of the free and the home of the brave and be in sheer bondage and be in utter bondage to emptiness. It's happening all the time. Jeremiah 2 tells us in his great book that God's people have committed two fundamental sins. For my people have committed two evils, he says. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And they've dug out for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water. So the first sin is to worship other gods. 
The second sin is to replace the truth with a substitute of false teachings. He calls them a cistern that's got a hole in it, a cistern that's cracked. Peter picks up on that picture. He says, the days in which you're living now, he says, are replete with false teachers who will lead you into the bondage of error and who will lead you into the bondage of emptiness for they will promise that which they cannot deliver. Jesus said one day, no man can serve two masters, but everybody serves one. You see, ultimate freedom doesn't exist. We are all a slave to a master. It's only the question is, is which master do you serve? Jesus counteracts the corruption of the world in teaching us to be able to, to live and die that we might be free from the consequences of sin. Jesus said, now if you follow my teachings, you will become my disciples. And if you become my disciples, you'll know the truth. And then the truth will set you free. That text is so misquoted and it is so misused in our culture. I hear it almost every day. Many times we see that quote, the truth will set you free. That's not what the Bible said. That's just a little piece of what the Bible said. The question has to be, which truth? There are many truths. You must consider the whole quote, not just the tagline. Because Jesus is saying, if you follow my teachings, as a result of following my teachings, you'll become my disciple. And when you become my disciple, then you'll know the truth. And when you, after you know the truth of becoming a disciple, that truth, that's the truth that will set you free. Then you can say, the truth will set me free. What is the truth? The truth is, I, as I come as a willing disciple under the lordship of Jesus Christ, he cleans up my spiritual corruption as I live out the commands of God through his power, by his grace, by his mercy. As I live in obedience to Jesus, in his power and his grace, I learn the truth. And that's the truth that sets me free in Jesus' name. It's tragic in America when we consider the tremendous price paid for our freedom and we wake up and realize we're not free, but we're in bondage. This Memorial Day can only be memorable if for some of us if we have a new and fresh challenge of the yielding of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But to yield your life then that you might know the truth of discipleship and the truth of discipleship will set you free. And then it's that truth that will set you free. And who the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen. Let's bow our heads just for a moment. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you, God, for that one that's struggling, that, has, that, that, that is in bondage as I speak. For all those around us that are in the bondage of fear, that are in the bondage of anything that separates them from God. That unknown sin in their life that, that creates so much havoc. So much destruction. Father, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. May we know the truth of following your word of knowing discipleship, 
knowing the truth we have in Jesus Christ, that that truth will set us free. To God be the glory. Amen and amen.